I'm Max. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lore, is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Max, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure. I'm Max Krieger. I make video games sometimes. I spend too much time on Twitter those other times, and I've been spending a lot of time on Twitter running a really weird novelty Twitter about non-standard McDonald's. And believe it or not, this is my second interview today, because my first interview was with the Pittsburgh local news who wanted to interview me about non-standard McDonald's. Um, I had less than a day to get ready. I was actually on like OG, like nighttime news, local variety show being interviewed about a weird like gimmick Twitter. Was it live? Yes, it was live. Oh, the pressure's on. Yes. um, I had to grab as many, I don't know, LED flashlights and other things from my house to make my work from home cubicle a presentable uh, live (laughs) television backdrop. It's cobbled together for a recording studio. I I already have tripods up around it because reasons that I'm not privy to discuss. So I just kind of took things off of them and put some (laughs) Ikea light cubes on them. And it turned out pretty good, all things considered. I had less than a day to get ready for it. So. You're going to have to hit me with that non-standard McDonald's at either during or after the show because that... Yeah, it's just, it's it's non-standard McD. I couldn't fit the whole thing in the handle. Okay, well, I know what I'm doing after this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, my name is Ryan Ike and I do uh, music for video games. Uh, I'm working on a bunch of cool stuff that I can't talk about yet. So, you could search for me on Spotify and just listen to some of my work. I also run a really unsuccessful uh, Twitter account about a banal and boring regular Long John Silvers. Um, Don't have a lot of subscribers. So, if anybody wanted to, you know, pop by and see like what the day-to-day kind of paperwork and like staffing issues are at a mid-tier fast food fish restaurant. So, we're both in games and we're both running gimmick accounts about fast food restaurants. That's eerie. Well, mine is mine is a lie just based on your thing because your your thing's cool and I just wanted to I just want to get in on that. Oh, uh, uh, I want to see the Long John Silver's account. Maybe I'll start it. It's not Long John Silver. It's Arthur Treacher's. I used to live where the last Arthur Treacher's is. That's a deep hole. I haven't thought about Arthur Treacher's in like. I know where the last Arthur Treacher's is. Wait, wait is that a restaurant? Yes, it's similar to Long John Silver's. Very similar. Huh? Would you say better or worse? Oh. Uh, Fried fish is not my niche. I'm not the no. one to ask. I, I always thought of it as like the crystal. Has anybody ever been to a crystals? No. Spelled with a K. It's like, you know, White Castle and they serve like nasty, like super thin hamburgers with a million onions on them. When I was traveling like with my family to Florida when I was a kid, we passed through Georgia and they had crystals with a K and it was like the ickier, stinkier version of that. But it was like the same steez, but just like a little bit like weird and off-brand. It was like the Negaverse White Castle. <laughs> and that's what I always imagine like Arthur Treacher's is. The Long John Silver's. Stinkier than White Castle. Oh. That's a tall order, I know. Yes. Isn't Laura running a novelty Long John Silver's account? <laughs> Wait, is she? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it might be like a magical realism thing. I'm going to feel really bad if I just bit her steez off the top of my head. Because Laura, if you're listening... So it's like a it's like an Eldritch Long Long John Silver's. That's all time. Yeah, I, I need this. I don't think Laura has. Does Laura have a list of bots that she's running anywhere? Because I don't see one on her website. <laughs> she has a whole bunch of games that she made. I mean, whatever about that. Like, let's talk about the fast food bots. Like, <laughs> well, except that we're not talking about them. We're just talking about failing to find them. Mm-hmm. That's close enough. That's adjacent. All right. Well, I'll put this in the I'll put this in the show notes if I can find it. And if you can't, you'll put like a really like pathetic apology about 
how you couldn't find it and all the time you spent on the show looking for it with no success, right? <laughs> right, yeah. That sounds good. Uh, are we ready for, for some topics? Yeah. I have ahead. been waiting all day for topics. Max, your first topic is, what do you think is behind the human fascination with miniature things? I, I wrote this as kind of like a cry for help because unsurprisingly, I am the human being fascinated with miniature things. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if you've ever seen these. There are these Japanese like fake food candy kits you can buy. If you Ooh. go to the Japanese grocery, you'll probably see them in the candy aisle. And they're made mostly of gelatin and cornstarch and food dye, but they come with little plastic molds and you make like fake tiny hamburgers or tiny donuts. Mm -hmm. And they're often like savory foods. You can make tiny ramen that you like dip noodles into the broth with. And so not only do I have a strange, I've been on a strange kick with those. I've been like hoarding them. And I don't want to use them because when I use them, they'll be gone. So I have 20 boxes of these things that I've collected over the period of three years. And half of them are expired, but they're not good to eat anyway. They're not good to eat anyway. Don't eat them when you make them. They taste horrible. <laughs> yeah, they're 80% horse hoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a problem. And I don't know. There seem to be lots of dads and grandpas out there who are obsessed with things like model railroads and building ships in a bottle. So I was just seeking some closure with this question. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have it. I was th I was thinking like like squirrels. Oh, those are also miniature things. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, you just mean things that are naturally their normal size, but happen to be tinier than you. <laughs> Cups, uh, <laughs> pencils. I mean, I could go on. Soccer balls. Like, is that? I mean, I think I think there's a joy in like seeing something that's very finely crafted. And in the case of a kit, there's a joy in making something that's very finely crafted. Mm -hmm. But hoarding, I would say, is a different <laughs> – that's a different question. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> snuck that one in under the wire, Max. Like you <laughs> you asked the question about miniatures. That's also kind of a question about hoarding. Um, but you did it in the back door and I appreciate the, I appreciate the game there. Well, see, the, the thing with this is that these are one-time use, and that's where my anxiety – it's like, you know, how you stockpile elixirs in an RPG, and you you end the – you go, oh, I'll use this when I really need it, and then you end the game, and you have like 80 elixirs, and you never used right. any of them. It's the same thing, except applied to food – tiny food candy kits from Japan. Yeah. What if the elixirs in the JRPG expired? The elixir is only good for like – Six more battles. You better use it. Please cut that. Cut that out of the recording. I don't want any devs to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm getting conniptions right now, just listening to you. <laughs> I like the. Okay, so for me, I agree with everything said so far. Like it's well crafted things on a tiny level are satisfying because it somehow adds that extra layer of like, man, it takes even more craft to make this little teeny like version of this thing. For me, it's the. I love miniature things because it's the power trip. Like when I hold a, a Lego like minifig, like a little person in in my hand, I think like you are so cute and I like your little vest and I could end you anytime <laughs> I want. And that feels that feels that, you know, that gives me something to kind of vibe on is that like I could I could crush this thing. Not really. I'm not that strong, but I could like pop the head off anytime I feel like, you know, and that makes me feel big. That makes me feel like a big man. And that's what I like. Kind yeah. of a, a wish fulfillment of a world of order and perfect design. Absolutely. Did you see the image going around about how women over five foot eight or what was the word they used? It was like 
not feasible was the (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) not not cost effective and the actual like the, the context for this is that um this was part of a study where they were measuring like how much more money like a, a five foot two man would have to make to be as attractive as a six foot man. Mm-hmm. And like, they need to make like $80,000 a year more or something like that. But then like they tried to flip it around and were like, well, how much more money does a six foot woman have to make to be as attractive as a five foot woman? And the answer was not feasible because men aren't attracted to women making more money. That was, Ooh, that, that, I mean, I should have seen that twist coming, but it was not what I was expecting there. Yeah, that, that took a, a knife edge turn into the patriarchy so fast yeah. I wasn't even ready for it. Well, but okay, wait, wait, wait for the actual point I was going to make, which is that I think the, the phenomenon that's happening here is the same thing you're talking about, Ryan, where like men want women, they're like, they're like, yeah, I could crush you with my bare hands. <laughs> right. I never would, but I want to know I could just absolutely mash you like a paper bird. But of course, I would never do that. Of course, I would never do that. I don't know. This is the Imp of the Perverse episode. Let's not tempt fate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a little uh, – I Google image searched these bad boys that you were talking about, Max, and I'm looking at like a really cute little platter of like tempura that looks like it's an inch wide. Yeah, I have I have the tempura one. This thing – what's well, this is really bothering me because I know that thing is nasty. I know it's going to lodge to the inside of my – gastrointestinal tract and it's just gonna hang out oh yeah that's only if you eat it but i want to eat it kind of bad like it looks really cute and i know it's gonna taste awful i would never eat it i just want to know that i could you can eat it in the same way that you can eat those starch-based biodegradable packing peanuts and they won't hurt you (laughs) you'll probably get the same amount of enjoyment (laughs) eat the eat the stickers on the fruit yeah, this seems like an aesthetic waste because it looks so cute uh, and tastes so bad. And I mean, what would your opinion be on these, Max, if they, if they actually tasted amazing and were this cute? Like, would you be going through them or would you still be reticent to use them? I would be a little bit concerned with what they were putting in them if they tasted good, considering the process <laughs> involved in actually constructing them. It's mostly weird powders that you mix into pastes and then press said pastes into a mold. <laughs> occasionally, yeah. occasionally you have to microwave the paste, but only certain ones. You don't want to microwave the pastes that are not designed to be microwaved. I learned that the hard way once. So, so you have made one of these. Yes, I have. Um, I have had, I've, I've made several. I've just, I got hooked. And so I built a rainy day stockpile of them. And the rainy day has been here for over a year. <laughs> and yet, here we are as yep. I stare wistfully at my – I have six of them on display in the cabinet in my dining room right now. The boxes are nice, I guess. If, if 2020 didn't make you break the glass on like breaking case of like horrible despair and tragedy, like what's – these babies are going in a locked tomb at this point. I assume yeah. what's, nothing's ever going to get you to open them. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly reckoning with that. And that's okay. That's not a judgment. I, I wouldn't want to create and eat anything that is like 80% a slurry-based uh, <laughs> like construction. Yeah. It is most, yes, it is most certainly a slurry. God, these are cute though. I don't even know that we answered the question. It's just like I... Oh, there, there are some good points in there somewhere. Well, none of them were mine. All I can say <laughs> is that I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can see how you could go down a rabbit hole on these. There's like a really satisfying little like uh, mini like sashimi platter. 
that I know is made out of like gummy and toothpaste and is nasty as hell, but it it looks cute enough that I would eat it and regret it later. Well, I have a very special one, in fact, uh, not to belabor this point too long, but I have one that's a, um, I mean, without going too long into it, there's a Japanese character named Shinchan. He's like the Japanese equivalent of Bart Simpson, pretty much. He had an anime in the 80s and he's stuck around. I have a Shinchan branded one that is explicitly like the sad happy hour sashimi special you get at a shitty bar after work. <laughs> it comes with a giant plastic mug of beer and some very you make some very sad looking sashimi that sits on a cheap looking plate. That one I'm saving for some kind of event. I don't know what yet, but other people need to witness that one. You're going to have to discover like a new entire universe of rock bottom before. Cause like that's a tiny little crafted gummy, nasty simulation of an already sad, sad person's meal. Your, your despair is going to have to fold back in on itself and create like new shapes of ennui that you've never known before as a human being, I would imagine. Or maybe it's a good day meal for you. Maybe it double twist back on itself. Oh, oh, knowing the sashimi I've had in Japan and the sashimi I've had here, I probably would just eat it and be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Sake what I can get. I'm going to start wearing a pager at all times and I expect you to buzz me on at the moment that you break that open. I'm going to be like, it's time. There will be a notice. So if you don't, if you're not going to eat those, what is miniature waffle kits? Yeah. I'll just, I'll just come over and have some of the paste. I'm I meaning to try that stuff. <laughs> Oh, that's like taking a bite out of a Kit Kat bar without breaking the pips off. Oh. Well, what? what dude? You've never just bitten the brick of, of ramen, instant ramen? Uh, I did do that with a brick of golden curry once. On a dare. Yeah, that's what you wash it down with. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that made, my, that made my tummy hurt. Good times. Mo- moment of silence for the golden curry. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> my stomach needs to come back from that one. Are we ready for another topic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ryan, your topic is, what are things people assume about you based on your profession, look, or general vibe that are always untrue? Yeah. And this is this is specific to you, not like always universally untrue necessarily, though it can be that if you have one. But like a big one for me, for example, is that I, I work in audio and I try to produce the highest quality audio I can for whatever I'm doing. But people assume like... I must be an audiophile. Like I must only want to listen to like lossless audio, like waves or higher. And it must really bother me when something has kind of like low quality or like compressed audio. And I don't give a shit. And I almost never notice. Like I have tried to compare MP3s and WAV files like of the same track just to see if I can tell. And I can't. And I don't really care that much. Like I, I will deliver the best thing for you. But like I don't, that's, that's not a thing that I notice. And everybody is always like flabbergasted when they hear that. And it's like, I just... I can't tell and I don't care that much. Like if it sounds awful, sure. But if, you know, there's a big window in there where it doesn't bother me and people are always like confused by that because they think you must be a weird, like up your own butt, you know, audio perfectionist if you work in this field. I'm like, eh. So you're not like buying the $500 wooden volume knobs? <laughs> well, those are for visual aesthetic reasons. Sure. But <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess on the topic, people assume that I, um, like, I don't know, when I mentioned I'm in video games, people associate that with me lusting after expensive graphics hardware of some sort, because I think that's just the de facto thing people are used to. Most of the video games I play are on consoles that are 10 years or older at this point. And I just, yeah, it's it's strange. I'm like, no, I don't want to mine crypto on a 
GTX, whatever, leave me alone. I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And I think you can extend that to like tech workers wanting the least high tech, like kitchen appliances possible, oh, yes. for example. Same. I'm in that camp hard. I'll pay extra for it not to have any CPUs in it. <laughs> yeah, something tries to connect to my Wi-Fi and I don't know why it's doing it. I'm just inherently suspicious. 100%. For me personally, something that's been happening all my life and got worse when I made Frog Fractions is people just assume that I'm really into drugs. Oh, I get that too. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. I get that too. Like, I, th- I think it might be the hair. Oh, no, it's definitely the hair. Yeah. Like, okay. a, thousand, like a thousand percent, it's the hair. <laughs> it's most certainly my hair too. It's large. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, – and this part of this was Berkeley too. I was walking down the streets of in Berkeley and there was a guy who yelled across the street to ask if I had any rolling, had any rolling papers. <laughs> and did you? I did not. Damn it. That happened to me at a gas station once and I think a guy mistook me for his drug pickup. Oh, and, sure. Um, he asked me what I had in my trunk, <laughs> and I totally bullshitted. I just said, "Oh no, my shit doesn't come until next week." I'm sorry, dude. And he bought it, and he just left. <laughs> <laughs> You're early, bro. I love that. I get the opposite. I um, I have giant like Coke bottle glasses, and I I kind of look like a cartoon character, and people assume just like that I'm like a straight edge narc or something, and so. I don't go crazy or anything, but like I, I've had friends that I've known for years and it just came up one time we were playing games like, yeah, I, I smoke weed like once a month maybe to kind of help me sleep. And they're like, whoa. And it's like, that's <laughs> not anything, but they just assume like I'm this, I'm this chaste little cherub because I have big doe eyes, I guess, because my lenses are insane. <laughs> right. I think particularly online, people tend to kind of flanderize those qualities about ourselves. And that they get spun into, you know, people being either super straight edge or super dirtbags, depending on minor personality or appearance traits. Because I certainly experienced that. Right. But you both got tossed into Camp Dirtbag, (laughs) which seems like the more fun camp. What do people assume about you based on your McDonald's account? It's more so they think that I'm super into it as a concept, when in reality, I'm more into the research and documentation I'm doing. Yeah, uh, for people, will, I don't know, make lots of McDonald's jokes in my direction, and I will McDonald's joke with them back. But my heart is only partially in it, and I, <laughs> I don't know. I assume it's going to become stale, and nobody likes a stale McDouble. It's not good. <laughs> Same deal back in the days of this is a real. I, I guess it's a real throwback now, which makes me very happy. Is the Cheesecake Factory? Oh, yeah. The Cheesecake Factory thread I did on Twitter many moons ago. That was very good. That yeah. was why I started following you. Yeah, it was, that was oh, a delight. Thank you. I, I went to GDC a couple of months after I did that thread, and everybody was like, oh, you're the Cheesecake Factory guy. You're the Cheesecake Factory guy. And this was right after I successfully crowdfunded my last game. <laughs> so I actually, you know, I successfully pulled off the Kickstarter, and yet Cheesecake was the topic du jour. And how did that did that feel? that you scooped yourself in this way. I'm just glad that it's passed. I think it's kind of phased out of the collective memory a bit. And, and here I am digging myself into another hole, but that's okay because it's not associated with my personal account. So that's a little bit better. It was a quality thread. I think now every time I go to a cheesecake factory, I think about the dark crystal, I think because of you, I can't remember if you were the one who brought that up or if I'm thinking of another kind of copycat. I mentioned the eye of Sauron. I did not mention the dark crystal, although the dark crystal is very valid interpretation there. 
yeah, the, the font alone is is wildly adjacent for no reason. That place is, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm going down the, I'm doing, I'm just reliving your thread again. I have to stop. You're trying to pull away from it. You can relive my thread anytime you want by going and reading it. It's there on the internet. I think about it and long hamburgers uh, every day. So Long hamburgers. There's going to be a, a sister episode to this podcast that goes, comes all, alongside this one. That's just Ryan reading that thread aloud. <laughs> What's a long hamburger? <laughs> It's the hamburger they serve at the Cheesecake Factory. At least oh, the, when yeah. I went in like in the only time I went to one in like ninth grade, I ordered just like a cheeseburger and it's like football shaped for no reason. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> ironically, I'm I'm from Cleveland, um, Ohio, and that's a relatively pedestrian thing in Cleveland. Really? There's a local uh, fast food chain called Mr. Hero and their signature sandwich is the Roman burger, which is just three burger patties on a sub sandwich bun. That bothers me less because that's three discrete circles of beef. I'm talking about a, an oblong, like a like a tablet you would etch your name into uh, in ancient Egypt. Like it's like a cuneiform slab of beef. Oh gosh! In the shape of a giant flat tic tac. I'm just imagining writing cuneiform in it with my knife <laughs> sitting at the table. There's a burger place in San Diego called Burger Lounge. And I would always try to convince people that like they're actually, it's actually a malapropism. It's actually, it's French for burger long. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about you, Jim, is you make your own fun, you know? That's <laughs> true. I do it professionally. <laughs> I've had those long burgers. I've had like a burger on a hoagie, hoagie bun, and they just shape it to fit the bun. And by them, I mean that pizza place i ordered from you got a hoagie from a pizza place you maniac like just <laughs> listen, <what are> you... <laughs> listen listen i was depressed that's okay I just... that's fair i've done that too i've done that too you're not alone it's okay <laughs> been depressed yeah we all played world of warcraft <laughs> <laughs> i always i always default to the hoagie uh at the pizza place when negotiations about pizza toppings break down and i want to recuse myself Oh, it's yeah. me, That's it's me waving the white flag and saying, I'll just go with the hoagie. You guys figure it out. It's a real Switzerland move for sure. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Mm -hmm. My topic is how to fix speed runs. So full disclosure, this is an idea that a friend of mine on Twitter had that I just really latched onto. And I, now I think I'm more into it than they are. I'll, I'm blanking on who it is now, but I'll put their name in the show notes. And the, pro the problem with speed runs is that people, if you like go on Twitch and you watch someone doing speed run attempts, what you usually see, like in, for example, in Mario 64, is you'll see they get like two stars and then they reset because they screwed up an early move that's very difficult. And you see this happen over and over and over again for hours. And even if you're not like the kind of person who wants to watch people do speed run attempts, this is still like, they, they still have to live this in order to like have a shot at the record. They need to put in not just the practice time, but the grinding time to get the, the very lucky, just to, to get the very lucky run. And the idea was, um, there's a concept called marathon strategy, marathon strats, meaning that if you're going to be doing this run at GDQ, you have a, a more conservative set of strategies that either if you fail, that means you, doesn't, you don't have to reset or that um, are much more likely to work. And I think 
speed running as a discipline would be more fun for everybody if those just became the norm. Uh, and so, the way to actually do this might be, for example, to you get one chance a month to run, uh, to do a speed run and you announce it in advance and you stream it live and that's your one shot. And so, you have to, you have to do the, the marathon strats every time. Yeah. I like that because I think eventually you'd get some like wild, you know, like figure who would show up for their once a month shot and still do the super like risky, but faster move. And most of the time it would fail, but every now and then you'd get someone who would try that and it would succeed and it would be like a baller, like legendary run. Yeah. And that would be extremely rare, which would make it even more fun. Exactly. And then most people would do the higher success rate. Like you're describing where it'd be like, okay, yes, this takes longer, but I get to watch them actually do stuff instead of just hit a brick wall. Right. I don't watch enough speed runs to, I guess, be personally affected by this, but I wonder how much... Jim, do you watch... Like, do you engage with them like a lot? I would assume that's why this question came up. I do watch a bunch of speed runs. And if you mean engage like I talk to them, that's not something that happens. Oh, no. I would have never assumed that. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, how much do you think the speed run experience... As someone who, like, I, I enjoy a couple a year... Like they're great, but I, I just don't like consume them a ton. Like how much is the experience weighted towards the viewer versus like just this is something that is for this person who's achieving this, but they happen to be recording it so other people can see. I think for the people doing the speed runs, they want to be the one who has the record. I, I think there's a lot of pull there to the competition and the um, the video of the run is just the proof that it happened. Mm -hmm. I think that's a large, large part of it. And the, the, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to pull back on that a little bit. Cause I do think there's a lot of, I do think a lot of them wouldn't do it if there wasn't a community that was interested. Like the, the fact that there is a community there to watch these runs is also pretty important now that I think about it. My favorite runners are always the ones, and I, I don't watch, I don't, I don't know, Stan, as the kids call it, particular runners in the community. But whenever I watch GDQ of any sort, my favorite runners are always the ones who are very clearly, A, you know, speed running something that they want to run, but also sharing a game that they love and know intimately well with all of the viewing audience and are just, look at this thing that I love so very much. And that is a, that's a thing that, I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a fun experience to just be like, do watch somebody or kind of participate in a community that's doing like any kind of deep dive on something, which I think speedruns always necessitate just like knowing every little nook and cranny of something and where you can glitch through stuff if that's the kind of run you're doing. And that's always a fun experience to be like, we all love this thing and we're all kind of drilling down on it together while we watch this person do this. That doesn't do anything for your question. <laughs> I just think it's neat. <laughs> I mean, so I guess going back to your earlier thing though, like, yes, a community is like, that's a big part of why these people do it. But if it is mostly about like the person achieving this run and then the video is the proof that they did it, you know, if that's the case, our speed run runs actually broken. If it's more about the person achieving it versus like, if it's, you know, cause I, I guess what I'm, I'm asking is like, are you saying they kind of are need fixing because it is boring as a viewer to watch somebody do the same, like strat that would cut a bunch of time off their run but it's like yeah unlikely to work i think it's more important that it's a boring game and approaching this as a game designer i want to make 
doing speed runs itself be fun. So there's a um there's a skip in Frog Fractions called the Timex skip where right after you turn into a human, spoiler for Frog Fractions, you turn into a human and the bugs eat your fruit and there's a little pop tip tool tip in the corner that pops up saying, "Watch out man, they're eating your fruit." And if you if it come if it goes to the next scene, and you jam on the spacebar really quickly, uh, before that closes, you can skip the opening uh, dialogue in the DDR section, which saves you like 12 seconds. But there's no... I, I went to the source code when I found out about this, like to figure out why this was happening. Uh, and there is no control that the player has over when that scene, the first scene ends. So it's just random luck whether or not this happens or not it's probably like one in 30 i'm guessing one in 30 runs it's purely luck of the draw which is terrible game design like if if you're <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to to get the world record time in frog fractions basically you're you're playing the first six minutes of an eight minute run or something like whatever it is just to throw away like 99% of your run, something like it was, I'm I'm making those numbers up, but they're not far off and that's not fun. That's not a good game design. And I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to reduce the grind of, of speed running. That's, that's the problem I'm trying to solve when I say I'm trying, I'm trying to fix speed running. By the way, what I did uh, for, for the game of the decade edition was I just made, I adjusted the timing so that, um, it was always possible to pull off the timex skip. Oh, nice. It's really interesting because now I'm thinking about how skips and strats for speedruns are discovered and how it's almost like people putting your game in an operating table and opening it up with a scalpel and trying to piece together the biology. And I have to wonder if trying to proactively design in anticipation of that to make it more interesting for runners if that's going to somehow throw off the inner balance or the kind of spirituality of the experience of breaking a game. And I'm just, you know, not committed one way or another, but it is something I'm thinking about because I think part of the experience of being a member in that community is pioneering in that field, poking things with a stick until you see something break. Yeah. And yeah. Will that feel less genuine if you try to design in anticipation of that internally? Yeah, yeah. It will, like, what if you add puzzles to your code base? Yeah. To like little red herrings, to like, oh, they're, they're, they think they found an important glitch, but it turns out nothing ever calls that code. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, that, that game design really could. Um, go that deep where now it's not just the the casual players who are playing the game and it's not just the speedrunners who are playing the game but the the people who are actually doing the code analysis are playing your game at that point yeah so it's getting people at all levels of the hierarchy which i'm way into yeah yeah me too the only game i can really think of that did that super super successfully at a super high level like gdq tier level is tetris the grandmaster here i am talking about puzzle games again 
Um, are either of you familiar with uh, Tetris the Grandmaster, TGM? A little bit, a little bit. Vaguely, but I could use a refresher. It's a Tetris game designed by... Well, it's a trilogy of Tetris games designed by a Japanese developer called Arika. And Arika actually also did Tetris 99 on the Switch. There's actually a funny story after all this. Arika decided to make the most hardcore Tetris game possible. And so they make a Tetris game that really dives deep into every single mechanic of Tetris. And they just said, how can we crank the skill ceiling on this to the absolute maximum? And there are just insane things like having having to buffer your inputs like in a fighting game to anticipate the kind of <laughs> drops you have to do because you're moving at a speed where if you wait for the piece to naturally appear on screen, you're not going to be able to react fast enough. There's just not enough time. So you have to do all these crazy things and understand exactly how the spinning mechanics work. Because let me tell you, there are several different rule sets for spinning mechanics in Tetris. And I say that because it got to the point where they deviated from it so much and kind of took the game in such a radical direction that the Tetris company actually revoked their license. (laughs) (laughs) They were developing Tetris, the grandmaster four and the Tetris company said enough, no more. This has gone too far. (laughs) This has gone too far. And they Nintendo commissioned them to do Tetris 99 and Nintendo's had a cozy relationship with Tetris for a while. So that's how they were able to make that. But I don't think even to this day, Arika has been able to secure the Tetris license again. Oh my god! It's so like did they, they did they, they release the game under a different name? They tried to. Quadris. They did, a, they did a location test in like 2016, 2015, and the game's name was just the Grandmaster Four <laughs> instead of Tetris <laughs> the Grandmaster Four. And they did do location tests, but then everything went dark again. I think they got a cease and desist from the Tetris company, and that was that. Dang it! It's wow. like they got kicked out of the Olympics for for juicing or something. Like, like they just—they were just too good at doing what they were doing. They took it to the peak. Yeah, that is wild. But yeah, T- TGM is something that really is designed around assuming people are going to put that fervent level of dissection and analysis, frame by frame analysis, into the game, and that that's necessary to actually achieve the rank of grandmaster that's that's the thing about the ranking system in tetris the grandmaster there's the various ranks and you get little medals and you can get master and then you can get grandmaster but the game never explains any of it to you it just assumes that the people who play it are going to play it so much that they will figure out what these things mean there are all these scoring indicators all these titles or like little rank things you can get and the game never explains any of it. And so there's that expectation there that the fan base is going to be so into it that they're going to do that deep dive. And this was back in the early aughts. So it's really forward thinking for a game like that. That is so cool. Like you have to be the absolute peak of what Tetris is capable of uh, allowing human skill to you know modify it. Basically, like you have to, it'd be the, the, you have to literally be the best someone could be at Tetris. And we have made the game that allows for you to have the highest skill ceiling possible at this supposedly simple game. Like I'm, I'm way into <laughs> right. that. Yeah. Such a high skill ceiling that Tetris, <laughs> the entity came out of the room. Like, <laughs> no this more. is too dangerous. Like, we got to stop it. <laughs> like that's, that's how you know they were successful when like the <laughs> Tetris themselves shows up to like swat them away from the sun <laughs> because they're about to like uncover some like eldritch truth about these, uh, these four block shapes. 
<laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a write-in. Yuri asks, games you love but really wish you did not. Maybe even games you don't really lo- you really don't like much but keep playing anyway, like a terrible reality TV show you can't look away from. Minecraft. You don't like Minecraft? You don't like the design of it? Or you don't enjoy it? It's stolen so much time from me in a capricious way. It makes me ve- makes it very clear to me that the time I invest in because I you know it's single player I played multiplayer at one point but not for a long time but single player through so many cheap deaths and other aspects has proven to me that it has no respect for my time and yet I return <laughs> again and again. Yeah, that's a big one. Don't waste my time. Like, never threaten me with, with boredom or wasted time in a game, and or I will leave immediately. Or at least I think I will. My big one, I mean, I have several. Uh, are either of you guys familiar with beamng.drive? I have not heard of that Beam one. Beamng.drive? No. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't even know if it's out yet, if it's out of uh, early access. But it's this, like, car simulation game. Not a racing simulation game, a car simulation game that's, like, I think meant for people who want to get really nitpicky and, like, intricate with different models of cars and vehicles. You can kind of just go from a list and summon into, like, you know, a hellish landscape of half pipes and spheres or kind of a badly rendered forest or whatever. Um, Any kind of vehicle of your choosing out of a bunch of different ones, including, like, construction vehicles and planes and stuff. And I'm, I'm not, like, a gearhead at all. I don't really care about cars that much. But they've like laboriously modeled the physics of everything. So I think what they meant for it to be is like a really fun car simulator where it's like, I want to see how this thing drives and what the torque is on it. And like, da, da, da. and I, it's like exclusively used for just being a giant child in a sandbox and just smashing cars together <laughs> and so watching them. Like, it's like Gran Turismo meets Gary's mod. I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is the most satisfying car crash, uh, car crash simulator that I've ever played when, yeah, it's it's exceedingly fun to not do any of the things the game clearly was built to let you do and wants you to do. Like drive this course and note the different ways that we modeled like the physics of this car. And I'm like, no, I want to go off this other ramp uh, and watch it tumble end over end in a horrible like cacophony of noise and sound. <laughs> it's great. But what I don't like about it is that it just um, it makes it really apparent like that I'm just like a, a clown. Like I'm just like a stupid child, like masquerading it, masquerading as an adult. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's, it, it is the closest I feel to just like sitting in a sandbox and smashing micro machines together. <laughs> like it's, it, I recommend it. Uh, I think you can get it for free last I checked, but. So you're saying this game makes you feel like a child and you hate it. <laughs> Correct. Uh, it, it exposes things about how easily entertained I am. I like to think I'm somebody who likes a more nuanced story or if a game doesn't have story, I like some, uh, you know, uh, some really interesting mechanics that have some kind of like unique details to them. But apparently at the end of the day, um, just let me make big truck and then make big truck go into uh, into other big truck and I'm good. You can like spawn cannons and fire the cannonballs at uh, at vehicles. And that's really satisfying. Just watching like a tanker truck like implode in from the side and like seeing if you can get it to flip over. Like like pirate ship cannons? Yeah. Like pirate ass pirate ship cannons. It's great. And the cannons go backwards too. So if you want to drive the cannon like a vehicle, you can like keep firing the balls and the cannon will respond to the recoil and eventually you can get it like flying like at rocket speed and then hurl that into things. Yeah. It's it's just a big physics engine that is supposed to be for gearhead nerds and I, I use it to break things over and over and then clap my hands like a big baby and say <laughs> again, again. It sounds very good. Uh I'm really susceptible to compulsion mechanics. So for me, it's probably clickers like uh, Adventure Capitalist is a classic one. 
it's it's a clicker that's themed. It's actually really really well tuned to to give you a good ebb and flow of of um, of your upgrades. But it's it's themed around like turn of the century robber baron. Like you're like a Rockefeller type situation. Yeah, or, Rockefeller yeah. in a top hat. You know, buying oil wells, that sort of thing. Okay. And it's like I, I can't, I can't ever, I can't tell you I ever actually like enjoyed playing it, but it did like it did draw me in, and that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Like when I say I'm, I'm, I'm susceptible to compulsion. Yeah, a game will make me play it without wanting to act, without without like ever getting any joy out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cynicism sets in before the dopamine cycle wears off. <laughs> and you have a weird period in between. Accurate. Yeah, it's it's just that that dopamine hit of getting the next thing or filling the next meter or making the numbers go up but just like distilled down to the the barest essence of that thing without any like trappings of story or mechanics or, you know, player fulfillment <laughs> kind of, right? Like it's just like I clicked it and a good thing happened. Right. Yeah. I get that, but I also understand people playing those. Like, no shade. I can just be like, look, I, I have like an, a dopamine app in my pocket and I just need to like tap the thing and have good thing happen. Like, especially after 2020, like I don't fault anybody who's like, this is my favorite genre. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of the fun of adventure capitalists specifically is that your money only ever goes up. Yeah, as it should. Right. I, think. I think clickers shouldn't be about like losing. I think it should just be about like maximizing how quickly you ascend. Yeah, it's like tweaking a finely oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good one though. That is the that is kind of the trash reality TV of of video games in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Now, unless you're going to get into the um, the free to play stuff on mobile. Yeah, all the gotcha stuff. I've stayed away from that intentionally. Oh yeah, I'm I'm terrified of. Oh, I so I, I was going to name check Genshin Impact, but I'm actually not scared of that one because it doesn't like it looks like there's way too much text in that game for me. But it's it's like ninety percent of the way to a game that would be terrifying for me. Genshin Impact. People really, I don't know, tried to belittle it, but it's probably. One of the most significant games of 2020. I think people are wrong to turn a blind eye or dismiss it. But I agree that it's it's coming into my periphery as a thing I should probably be personally concerned about in my <laughs> gameplay life. I actually don't know much about it other than the some pretty gorgeous screenshots I've seen and just like the comparisons to Breath of the Wild. But I, I've been like, I don't have time for that. So I kind of have not paid too much attention to it. What is what is the concern exactly that you two have with me not knowing much about it? That it's going to be a deep well for you, and that you should stay away from it because it would suck you in, or that yes, that's my concern. That I would actually like start, God forbid, start paying for spins or whatever you call it. <laughs> paying for spins sounds like something you'd do in a back alley, like in a cyberpunk hellscape, like when you're just really strung out. Yeah, no, that sounds like fun. No, I'm I'm talking about in a video game. One hundred free pulls for your left kidney. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic yeah. ryan your topic is does anyone actually like frame interpolation am i am i the only one who always turns it off i was just going to explain it in case anybody doesn't know that term uh you know when you watch a movie or a tv show and everything because of the frame rate moves a certain way that we're used to thinking of as like cinematic or the way things 
the, the way motion works on TV and in movies. And frame interpolation is this thing that TVs have had for a while now that is kind of the default where it tries to predict what would be in between those frames and puts other fake frames in there. So everything appears to move kind of as smooth as real life or close to it. And supposedly that increases the fidelity, fidelity and makes this look better. I hate it. Uh, I think everything looks greasy and nasty. I don't, I, I never, it, it completely like repulses me despite the fact that it moves more at a frame rate that my eye can, can see all of. Uh, and I, I literally, every time I go home uh, to visit my folks, I walk around the house just like discreetly turning this feature off on every <laughs> TV that they own because it's just like, it's sickening to me. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I immediately turn it off. The thing that freaks me out though is I have encountered several people whom I've been watching television next to and it's the, the motion smoothing is on and I just ask, doesn't this bother you? And they go, doesn't what bother me? And I just go, the, the motion smoothing. And they're like, what? Oh, like, is yeah, that just, on? Just live oh with it God. for a year and you're not going to notice it either. And then I, no, and then I turn it off and they don't notice the difference. <laughs> That's like a pod person moment like i feel like, <laughs> like a big what? gaslit right like who are you wow Ooh, that's chilling and it's happened multiple times now uh you you should really consider your friend group and your and your roommates uh, going <laughs> the first thing you do when someone else moves in with you you should be like look at lord of the rings right now tell me what's wrong with it and if they can't answer they they got to get the boot oh don't worry in this house the motion smoothing goes off this is not a motion smoothing house. <laughs> We're good, proper Christians here. <laughs> yeah, it's like my dumb little curmudgeonly tech thing. Like I don't, I don't really get. Like I mentioned before, like I don't notice uh, fidelity in other ways, like waves and MP3s. I mentioned, or like I will literally a lot of the time I'll go to a big store and if I'm waiting on my wave to like try something on or whatever, I will go over to the TVs and look at like the super, super high def, like 5k ones and then the 4k ones, and then they'll have some 1080ps. And like, I mean, y'all, I know I got bad vision, but like, I, I can barely tell the difference. Like I don't, it's not a, it's, it's not a negligible enough difference for me to be like, Oh yeah, this is way better. Oh, I think a lot of that is just that most content isn't 4k. Yeah, that's probably true. And yeah. even, even then 4k content is really only as good as its bit rate is. And that has good, as good as its color depth is. If it's not HDR, you're really not going to tell a huge difference. That's the, that's the big game changer with, I, I just recently got a, an, a UHD display. Um, and it's the color that I really notice on okay. HDR stuff versus the actual resolution. I've heard it from several reputable sources that not 4K, but 8K, as far as pixel density goes, is the final frontier. That any further pixel density past 8K res is just going to be diminishing returns. That seems to be the consensus, at least when I last checked. I don't know if that's still true. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Is that just based on like the actual limits of the human eyeball? Like yes. literally? Yes. We, okay. Well, presumably it depends on how close you're sitting to the TV. This is <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> you want to nestle right up to that bad boy. Yeah. I think your implicit question here, Ryan, is, is so first of all, I think nobody likes it. Um, nobody who notices it likes it. But I think your implicit question here is why do TVs have it? If anybody who knows about it likes it and anybody who doesn't care about it doesn't notice it. I have an answer for this. Okay. Sports. Entirely sports. That's what I've been told. It's 100% oh, about sports content. That makes sense. What, 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 what does it? Kind of. Yeah. Because I feel like that would be the kind of thing where you would actually want to see those frames in between because everybody's moving so fast and like you're trying to catch what every single player on a field or 
on the court is doing. So it's the okay. idiot who like never watches sports, and I don't even know that I'm sounding convincing right now, but I can, I can see yeah, I can see it. Like the idea that a movie is like all the action is going to be planned out to look good at 24 frames a second, but the football players aren't so polite. <laughs> Right. One is a scripted experience that is meant to go the same way every time you view it. And one is a live thing that you don't know what's going to happen. So, as much detail as you can get as the viewer, I think that makes a kind of sense to me. Yeah. What I was going to guess was that I've heard that when you buy a TV from like Best Buy, uh, the default like color settings, they're tuned to sell a particular TV that's being on display next to a wall of other TVs. So they really want to make that image pop and it's terrible for actual actually watching TV on. So whenever you bring a TV home, you have to really like adjust that stuff to manually to a reasonable setting. Unless you watch TV by watching an entire wall of consecutively stacked TVs like the Riddler or something, and then it's great. And, and with the purpose of choosing the one you want to take home with you, yes. Yes. And so it may be that motion smoothing is trying to, um, like it exists to sell the particular TV in the in the wall of TVs. I think that's there's probably some truth to that. I know that they also do the same thing with, um, they crank the saturation way high on the TVs they're trying to move. Because yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is a, a big box retailer lied to me? <laughs> no, no, the retailer didn't. It was uh, it was the TV manufacturer. Oh, a different big corporation. Yeah, manufacturer yes. electronics. They would never. Okay. Whew. Now Best okay. Buy is your friend. <laughs> best Buy wants me to have the it's, Best it's Buy. Best Buy is your best bud. Is Best Buy really the best buy? The answer may surprise you. <laughs> Well, good. I feel vindicated to know that um, either people are are the the placid background characters from They Live who don't know about the dystopia they live in, or they're an, they're an awakened like me who see this horrible effect on TVs and always hate it. <laughs> right. All I want to know is that I'm in the majority at all times. I don't think that's that much to ask. Yeah, no, you're you're in good company. I I've never met. That's the thing. I've met people who I, you know, described prior as not really knowing it's there or just kind of living with it. But I've never met anybody who actively prefers it. Yeah, same. What about, have you ever met anybody who prefers um, stretching a 4-3 image to to cover the whole screen, the whole widescreen screen? Yes, unfortunately. Oh, so like perverts. Yes, perverts. Charlatans. Who... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> people who, is, who are really who distracted by there being any black areas of the television i i want this black bar on each side obliterated i don't care at what cost yeah, <laughs> like, there are people like that i would rather destroy my own content than any <laughs> part of my screen not be used i wonder if there's like a tv that now does the that effect you see on like news broadcasts where like now that so much of like footage that's available to news programs is people's home portrait mode phone camera footage they show like a blurred zoomed in version of the oh yeah video Mm -hmm. to cover the sides yeah yeah there's got to be a word for that yeah (laughs) it's shorter than what i just said i wonder if there's any tvs that do that because that would be better yeah that sounds pretty nice actually 
it probably would take a little bit more processing guts than what they usually put in these sets. So it might only it might be like a premium feature. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Sony set out there that does that now. But right. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably is only on the higher end things if it exists. But I would like that. I put that on my TV. Me too. I'm paying for that space. Like, let's use it. Come on. What do I look like? I made a screen real estate over here. Let's go. It's like when they they write the name of the company on the chocolate bar. That's like every single one of those letters is chocolate you don't get to eat. <laughs> so that they could have their brand too. Which yeah. Is- They're advertising on the chocolate bar and you're paying for it. That's, yeah. that's uh, known as an externalized cost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the kind of guy who... Uh, unscrews the little rim around my license plate when i get a new car that says the name of the dealership oh uh, me too because oh, fuck yeah. you i'm not I'm, you're not paying me to advertise and i will also shave uh the milky way logo like out of my candy bar if it's there just because like i'm carrying this around like you're not paying me nestle <laughs> you're gonna, like you're gonna have even less chocolate to get rid of this i i stand by my principles jim and i think i think that's nobler than having the entire candy bar have you ever tried to negotiate with a dealer? Like, how much are you going to pay me to not unscrew your name <laughs> from this car? <laughs> you want car connection, uh, rep in Ballard? Because I can, I can hook you up, or we can make this, you know, we can make this difficult. It's up to you. That, that's got to be worth it. That's not. That's a non-zero amount of money to them. Yeah, I got a Phillips head, and I'll use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> are we ready for another topic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Max, your topic is. There seems to be a zoological consensus that hippos share a unique, communal, organized hatred of humankind for reasons that, can, that cannot be explained through typical animal behavioral reasoning. I, and I feel bad because I've been try- I, I remember I read a wave of articles about this several years ago now, and I've been trying to find them over the course of this episode, and I have not been able to secure them. So I might just be blowing smoke here. <laughs> so my, my apologies if I am. But I, I have read. I swear. I swear I have read. That people have said who study hippos, they're like, yeah, hippos are territorial. They'll tangle with gators and they'll tangle with other wildlife. But generally, they just kind of have, you know, herd territory sort of psychology going on with that. But they hate humans. They just hate us. They loathe us. If they see a bipedal human looking creature, they will just charge at us and try to bite us. They don't even eat us. They just want to maim us. (laughs) And um, it's some weird gut reaction to mankind and i at once in a while i just think about how that must have formed did they just wise up did they put they can did they connect the dots and realize what we're responsible for or is yeah. it something else i i wouldn't be surprised if like the ancestral man hunted hippos and then they learned better yeah maybe maybe it is a, a, a inherited inherited thing is i've seen i've seen People talk about and they say, oh, yeah, hippos can befriend animals. I've seen pictures of hippos and tortoises, for instance, hanging out, being buds. But if you hang out with a hippo, break your legs. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of Americans don't realize a hippo is probably the most lethal animal in the African continent <laughs> that you can tangle with. And now are you talking about before or after you factor in how much they hate us? I mean, the raw power of a hippopotamus, <laughs> they're, they're like tanks. I've seen, I've seen footage of lion, lionesses trying to pounce on a hippo and bring it down. It just, they just can't, roll off. Can't do it. moving armor. Yeah. And yeah. imagine that that moving armor has some kind of personal vendetta against you. It has a white you. hot <laughs> rage at you and everything you represent. 
Yeah. I found a statistic that said that hippos um, kill 500 people at least in Africa every year. All right. So they're, they're good at it too. That's what I'm hearing. That's way more than sharks. Sharks just do it by accident. Like they don't, they never mean to like hippos. Sharks are just hungry. Yeah. But people are thinking hippos mean to, they, they're not motivated by hunger. <laughs> they, they want revenge. What do you think about, okay. So I've, heard a number of theories about how like there's all this talk lately about between our climate disaster that's currently unfolding and COVID and everything that like, Oh no, mother Earth's going to not going to make it. And you know, one of the common responses you always hear is like mother earth's going to be fine. Yeah. It's us who aren't going to make it. And I wonder if like, what if she's chosen hippos like as her vehicle? Cause like they're big and fat and cute in cartoons. So we'll never see it coming. But like, what if that's like, what if this is where she's like, crystallizing her like cleansing of us off of the world is it's going to be like a it starts where we'll never see it coming well they do swim and the sea level will go up so maybe they'll have a better time than we will and they're hot weather creatures right like so what's the word for this imminentizing the eschaton hmm. have we considered like trying to speed things up <laughs> Hippo accelerationism. <laughs> Import hippos to as many places and as many continents as we can just to get, get the ball rolling. Make like, them the apex predator on the planet. Right. They can't do that much damage when they're just in the one continent. They already have sleeper agents in zoos throughout the United States. Yeah. They're just waiting for the signal and then it's going to be – it's going to get rowdy so fast. How do you think we got them into the zoos? Uh, very carefully and with great and, and with great numbers of people. Or again, if this is an organized like coup against humanity, like they just came super docile and willingly, like you know, I'm you're not locked in. I'm locked in here with I forget the quote, but the thing from <laughs> the, the thing from Watchmen, you know, the one everybody likes. They're just it's that mentality. Like they're just they're just waiting. Like go ahead, place me right in your backyard. I don't mind. San Diego yeah, they're, Zoo. they're waiting there with the. Uh, the tray full of hot grease. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that fried banana stand, that's the first thing to go. I'm going to take <laughs> that out and then it's and then it's a free-for-all. And I welcome it. You know what? If they if they pull it off, bravo. They have a fried banana stand at the San Diego Zoo? They've got everything, man. Like the food is half the reason to go. God, I want that. They've got chocolate potato chips. Those are amazing. Like it'll it'll be an hour before you even realize there's monkeys. Because you're going to be so enamored with all the stick-based foods. Most of the exhibits are just mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> you are the animal. You are the true beast, beast. here. <laughs> I, I, here's the thing is, I, Max, I believe you. You came with like no evidence, but I'm so immediately ready to just buy in that they all decided as an entire species to just like have a white, hot disgust and hatred of us. Oh yeah, regardless of the actual veracity of this this factoid, it's emotionally true. <laughs> it's emotionally true and uh, let's be real and I'm not I'm not a misanthrope necessarily, but like we're as far as species go, like we're pretty up there on the, like the hateability index. It's kind of it's kind of insane that like others like the fact that toucans don't just like swarm us in mass like whenever people go to the jungle like did hate exist before humans <laughs> we're the first flame and like we we brought it into the world and now they're ready to weaponize it against us oh I mean if you antagonize crows they will not only remember but they will tell their kin and future generations and they will antagonize you so all right crows so crows crows hate. 
Crows hate. That makes me feel the, why don't the hippos hate the crows? I don't know if they've encountered each other enough. Maybe the hippos just haven't figured out who they really hate yet. They need to spread onto every continent so they can find their true enemy. They just think it's the humans. Yeah, yeah they do that if there weren't so many damn humans around getting in the way. <laughs> right. And that's why we need to what was what was the term? Hippo accelerationism. Yes. <laughs> 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 so that we can let the hippos move on to their next uh, their next target. Right. <laughs> the only way we survive is if we alien versus predator this whole thing and turn them on each other. Well, the crows are a perfect product of millions of years of evolution, um, considering their dinosaurian ancestors. Plus, you can bribe them. So yeah, they bring you prezzies if you're nice to them. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. I guess I haven't been nice enough to crows. That is a desire of mine. To, to form some bond with a crow and have some material exchange. My uh, my sister's done it. She just did it recently. She works at a pet food store up here and there's this like abominably fat crow that lands on the hood of a car like and peers in through the glass door of the, this the mud crow bay. This crow is friends with everybody. <laughs> this crow is like, yeah, is forging relationships left and right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she has been leaving little nuggets of... Uh, like you know safe like raw food out for it mm -hmm. and it comes back on the dot at the same time every day and it started leaving like little like like twisty ties like bread ties and stuff for her oh uh, that is a great honor yeah an animal currency i'm very jealous yeah those things have a lot of utility those are that's nest building material like that'd be like if i came over and was like i i really value our friendship and i gave you a big chunk of like drywall like that means <laughs> a lot coming from me are we ready for another topic yeah mm-hmm my topic is a restaurant where all the glasses are the same size, but if you order a large, it gets poured out of a 55-gallon drum, and if you order a small, it gets filled with an eyedropper. That's that's the whole thing. That's that's it. That's the tweet. Now, going back to the earlier thing about misconceptions that people have about you that are always false, um, like what were you smoking when you came up with this one, right? Because... Um, Okay, so the question, the question I was high I have, on life. <laughs> I was high on my own sense of self-satisfaction. I have a question, which, and I, you can just tell me questions aren't allowed. This just has to be a knee-jerk. I was high on my own supply of topics. <laughs> <laughs> if I order, the, if I order a small, the eyedropper makes sense to me. Uh, a server will appear and laboriously fill, <laughs> fill my glass. Right. And I have questions about that too. But the 55-gallon drum... How, what is the vehicle, what's the mechanism? Is a human being or several kind oh, of- Oh, they need to get every employee to work together to move, to lift that thing. Okay. Oh yeah. So, it's like, it's if you're, if, if it's like your birthday at La Cucaracha and like everybody has to like roll out and like sing, but they, they're just trying to like fill your diet Pepsi. Right. I love that. I assume there was a, a machine. I assume this was like a, a forklift situation, but the fact that just it's human, it's human powered is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, we, they could be, they could both be human. They could both be robots. If that's like that, if that's what it takes to make my dream come true. <laughs> I'll pay any price. Okay. Yeah. It could be like a, a robot, robotic pair of pliers that just repeatedly squeezes the eyedropper. Now, does this extend to the, okay. This is, is this only the beverages or like if I order a large pizza, do they bring out uh, like a pizza the size of like a tarp and then cut me out like a large pizza sized like excision from that pizza. Uh, that sounds amazing. Yes. I'd be pretty into <laughs> that. Especially because like, is it all middle? 
do I get some crust on one side? Like what's the, you know, like eventually you're going to run out of hole punches on this thing. You're going to have to start getting creative. Uh, so I'm imagining they punch out a piece of the, of the enormous pizza and then they have some sort of like chemical that they pour around the edge that like <laughs> crisps up the edge to make it like a, to make it like a pizza crust. Scalding hot acid around the edge to really caramelize it. You could then it. theoretically do that again with the pizza you had just cut. It's pizzas all the way down. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's a pizza fractal and it never stops, baby. Oh, this is going somewhere. The other question I have about the giant pizza is, is it to scale? Like if I, if I order it and they, they cut a regular human large size pizza out of the massive like you know, ultra mega pizza. Is the crust level like, is it like four inches thick? And then there's like two inches of sauce and like three inches of cheese on top. This would also necessitate the creation of the world's largest pepperoni and the world's <laughs> largest mushrooms and bell peppers. For freaks, the world's largest pineapple slices <laughs> and uh, nasty like Canadian bacon. Yeah. <laughs> when do we start? We, we start tonight. <laughs> I thought there was going to be more to that question. <laughs> No, I mean, like, I like, I'm ready to to go in, all in on this business plan with you two. And we we call it what? I can imagine this restaurant being called Size Queen. I would go if it was called. <laughs> 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 all right. First, we have to pick a l less fortunate, down on its luck chain restaurant to short squeeze, um, <laughs> since that seems to be what's in vogue these days. Yeah, we got to drive uh, Crystal or <laughs> Long John Silver's out of business. <laughs> Sizzler. Um, Sizzler's got to yeah. go. They've had it good for too long. You can't have sandwiches and pizza and steak and tacos on the same menu. What are you doing? Stop it. Does Sizzler even have a menu now? They just kind of have a suggestion. You just kind of tell the server what you want and they approximate the closest thing of the 85 items they have. That sounds like a cobbler. Like a, They wanted like a fruit lasagna. That's a cobbler. Here you go. I remember reading that Sizzler used to be like a nice steakhouse and then they added the buffet and people just came, started coming for the buffet and it took over the place. Yeah. There was this, this period in the late 80s and early 90s where buffets were what was in vogue. And so everyone had a buffet. Wendy's had a buffet. Wendy's yeah. had like the, the Wendy's Super Bar. I and, vaguely remember and, that. And then all of the other restaurants – as the buffet boom wore off, kind of, you know, the party was over and they went back to their business. But Sizzler went on a divergent evolutionary path where <laughs> the buffet boom never ended. It just kept <laughs> going because they willed it to be so. Sizzler, where it's always the 80s. Yes. Yeah. Ah, what a dream. What an idealist dream that is. Uh, and I'm just remembering that commercial. Um, have you seen... There's a very infamous Sizzler commercial. It's not actually a commercial. I think it was a VHS tape that was sent to company oh. owners or something. It's <laughs> yes. this. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Go ahead and describe it because I don't remember this. Um, it's this very eerily patriotic Sizzler commercial <laughs> about how Sizzler represents choice in a country about freedom of choice. <laughs> Sizzler is the choice of America. Sizzler gives you choices every day. That's the Sizzler way. Get a little freedom in your life. 
wholesome American cooking. Fresh fish, a variety of salads. And um, <laughs> important context, this was recorded, I think, just a couple of months after the start of the Gulf War. And um, that Sweet. had something to do with it, according to the uploader who put it on YouTube. Wow. Uh, and uh yeah it's 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 powerful and it hits on all of those 80s and 90s commercial media tropes he's got like the 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 power ballad the image of the farmer at sunrise (laughs) riding his tractor across the fields uh smiling families in a very clearly soundstaged restaurant and it, it elicits an emotional reaction from you, but it cheats. You can tell it's doing so in a way that feels manipulative. It's propaganda for Sizzler. <laughs> it really is. It's like, come <laughs> over here and eat this shrimp cocktail or you're a communist. And yes, it's like, yes. Yeah. That's all the time we have for topic lords. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Max, if this is something that you want, where can people, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on twitter.com at Max Krieger. That's K R I E G E R V G for video games to differentiate me from the German model, (laughs) Max Krieger, who is much more successful and good looking than I. Did you consider like adding an extra G to your name? Oh, my name is, I already get weird mispronunciations on my name. I don't want to take it to double G territory. Too okay. Much. Okay. <laughs> You're really inviting trouble with that. And Ryan, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am on twitter.com as well at uh, Ryan Ike composer, incredibly uh, unoriginal. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Was when there I on that website. an incredibly famous model named Ryan Ike? <laughs> Yeah, there's <laughs> there's an incredibly famous Swedish model who's much more attractive and successful than me. Uh, and you models I wear, which you would think I would be amazing at because I have the thickest glasses any human being's ever seen. If anyone knows how to wear a pair of specs, it's me. I, I just went to your Twitter page and I'm looking at your little avatar and you're not kidding. That's beautifully, lovingly rendered. That uh, is a, yeah, that's a, that's a pair of goggles right there, <laughs> if I may. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well at Ryan Ike Audio. And then just kind of on Spotify, if you just search my name, I'm the only one. The Swiss one, the Swedish one isn't there. So there, there will be no confusion. Yeah, he's tone deaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to start a rap career a while ago, but it didn't work out. You got greedy, you know? Stay in your lane. Yeah, you can't be a <laughs> rapper and a model. Come on. Right. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.